following sermon, entitled Imitators of God, 24th in the series on the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the morning of August 21st, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Ephesians. We will begin reading at Ephesians 4, verse 25, and we will read through chapter 5, verse 7. The text for this morning's sermon will be verses 1 and 2 of the 5th chapter. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil be speaking, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us to an o- given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon will be verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It is the practice of our churches, generally, that on the occasion of a public confession of faith, that there is a sermon given that provides guidance, direction for the one who has made confession of faith. That is, on this occasion, it's entirely appropriate that we consider a passage that provides us a word to live by. To consider some text that 
would be entirely worth memorizing and seeking to apply it to one's life at all times. And in light of that practice, one would be hard-pressed to find a more appropriate passage in Scripture than this one. For God's Word that comes to all of us this morning, but in a special way to you, Ashley, is be ye followers of God. That is, be imitators of God. And is that not a word to live by? Is that not a phrase worth committing to memory? So that it becomes the guiding principle for one's entire conduct, for one's entire behavior. God would have me to follow Him, to imitate Him. That's the word that comes to us in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 as part of the overall practical application that's found for the child of God in this book. We're in the midst of a series going through the book of Ephesians and we've seen again and again that the book of Ephesians is divided into two clear halves. The first half provides us doctrinal instruction. It teaches us about our salvation and the church of Jesus Christ. And the second half then takes those very truths and brings them to bear upon the Christian life so that we're given practical guidance and application. And really that's the dynamic that we see again and again so that even in this particular passage we see the Apostle Paul reaching back as it were, grabbing hold of truths and bringing them to bear upon our lives so that here we're told, be ye followers of God, imitators of Him. Why? Because you are His dear children. He reminds us of the truth of adoption. Then he goes on to say, walk in love. Why? Because Christ so loved us that He gave Himself as a ransom for us that we might have the forgiveness of sins. So what we see is that even this practical instruction is rooted in the doctrines and that applies to this particular Word of God that we want to consider this morning. The calling to be followers, to be imitators of our God. So the theme for this morning's sermon is very simply imitators of God. First, we'll look at that calling. Second, we'll look at the manner, one of the specific ways in which we are to imitate God. And then third, the dynamic. In this passage of Scripture, the Spirit through Paul calls us to be followers of God. Be therefore followers of God. And when it speaks of following God, it's not using the same word that's often used elsewhere, especially in the Gospel accounts of those who are the disciples following the teaching of their Master and Lord. That is a biblical truth, but that's not the idea here. Rather, as we've alluded to in the introduction, the idea of this word follow means really to imitate. Or we could put it slightly different. The calling here is to mimic our God. It's another legitimate way of translating this. And that's helpful because our English word mimic actually comes from this Greek word that's found here in the text. 
Thus when the King James, not without reason, translates it as, be ye therefore followers of God, the idea is, follow His example. Seek to copy God in the way that you live, in the way that you act. That's the calling of this passage. And will anyone disagree with me when I assert that this is arguably the most remarkable and seemingly incredible calling in all of Scripture? Certainly, if we had a low view of God and viewed Him really as no different than ourselves, then this calling would not seem so outrageous. But when we have a proper view of God, a high view of Him, this passage is almost baffling to us. Be imitators of God? How am I to imitate the Lord of heaven and earth, the One who sits enthroned high and lifted up? in whose presence the very angels must cover their faces, who continually cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. How can I mimic the God about whom we read that He has no equal? There is none to whom we can liken Him or compare Him. So when we have a high view of God that rather than supposing we could imitate this God or mimic this God, instead our response is that of Elijah, of Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. When we consider who this God is, rather than supposing we could ever copy Him in any way, shape, or form, instead we say with Simon Peter who fell down at the Lord, at the feet of His Lord, saying, Depart from Me, for I am a sinful man. So that when we read these words, be ye therefore followers, imitators of God, we're almost tempted to say, is Paul exaggerating here? Has his imagination gotten the best of him? Carried him away? Then we go back to the simple wording of the text. Remembering this is not Paul's word, but the Spirit's word, Christ's own word to us. Be ye therefore followers, imitators of God. Can you imagine a higher calling? Surely this is the highest ideal in all of Scripture. There's nothing beyond this being imitators of God. Now the question before us this morning is, what exactly does that mean? What does this look like? Well, when the passage calls us to be imitators of God, it's not calling us to try to imitate His works. For how could we, who are creatures of the dust, ever seek to imitate His work of creating the heavens and the earth and caring for the whole of His creation day by day. That's impossible. So too, it's impossible for us to ever redeem even one soul from destruction and to bestow upon that soul all of the riches of heaven. 
So we're not called here to imitate God's works. Instead, we're called to imitate God with respect to His character. His virtues, His attributes, at least certain aspects of His character. And we have that qualification because there are some aspects of God's character, some attributes that are that belong only to God. Consider, for example, the fact that God is eternal. He has no beginning, no ending. He is really outside of time. Consider the fact that God is omnipresent so that whether we ascended up into the highest mountain or if we descended into the lowest parts of the sea, God is there. There is no place where He is not present. And those are just two examples of the types of attributes that apply uniquely to God. They're found only in Him. And they are therefore what we call in Reformed theology His incommunicable attributes. God does not communicate them to us. He does not share them with His people in any way. And so when we read, be ye therefore followers, imitators of God, that does not apply to His works. It does not apply to His incommunicable attributes. But instead, it applies positively to what we call His communicable attributes. Those He does work in our hearts and lives. These include attributes such as His goodness, His love, His grace, His mercy, His wisdom, His holiness, His righteousness. Yes, those are all found in their perfection only in God. But when God recreates us, gives us new life, He he works those things in us so that there's a, a creaturely reflection of those attributes. We saw that, for example, when we looked at Ephesians 4, verse 24. That ye put on the new man, which after God is created, in righteousness and true holiness. He's restored those things to us so that God has now communicated. He's shared those attributes of His own with His people. And the calling to be imitators of God applies specifically to those communicable attributes. The calling here is to be conformed more and more to the image of our God. To cultivate these virtues in our hearts and lives. And in giving us this calling, this passage is really summing so many other callings that we find in Scripture. For example, in Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45, we're told, Be ye holy, even as God is holy. Holiness is one of God's attributes, and He communicates that attribute to us when He regenerates us. And now we're called to live that way, to be holy as He is holy. Another example would be Luke 6, verse 36, which states, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. Again, mercy is one of God's attributes. And now we're called to imitate Him in that way. And when we read Ephesians 5, verse 1, and it tells us, be ye followers, imitators of God, we recognize that it's not just one particular attribute of God, but all of His communicable attributes that are in view. That's the calling of the text. And I trust you recognize as a congregation, and especially as young people and young adults, 
how different that calling is than what we hear from the world around us. The world around us also wants us to be imitators. To follow the examples of others. But the message of the world is not to imitate Jehovah God. The message of the world is look at those famous people. The, the successful businessman or woman. The movie star. The professional athlete, the musician, the politician and leader, whatever example you might come up with, the world has their own model, their ideal for what man should be like, and the world beckons to us, imitate them. Be followers of them. That's our example. And in that way, the world calls us to be conformed to the image of this world. To follow sinful men. And that's a real temptation for us exactly because that's our sinful inclination. By nature, we readily follow the sinful example of others. We learn sinful behavior from others. It's the teaching of Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. And now this passage is not explaining how sin has been transmitted down through the human race, but it is teaching us that we do learn from the sinful, negative example of others. And thus we must avoid heeding the call of the world to follow their example, to be like them, because the calling of the text is not follow their example, but be ye therefore followers of God, imitators of the Most High. Now certainly that does not preclude following the good and godly example of others. There is room for that. And we can say that in light of Scripture, especially when we look at how this particular term, be followers, imitators of God, is used elsewhere in Scripture, most often it's applied to following the example of some other saint. For example, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Paul says, I beseech you, be ye, be ye followers, that is, imitators of me. Hebrews 6, verse 12, we read, that ye be not slothful, but followers, that is, imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. These passages are illustrating that it's entirely appropriate to find a godly example and seek to learn from them, emulate what we see in their lives. And as young people and young adults, it's quite good actually to find those spiritual role models, whether it's your parents, whether it's your teacher, whether it's some member in the church, an office bearer. But even then, even when we find some godly individual that we respect and we want to learn from, we're still ultimately imitating God and following Him. Because insofar as we see a godly character in a person, really we're seeing that person 
heed this word and manifest those attributes in their own heart and life. And that dynamic comes out, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, another verse that uses this same term. Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul was following his Savior. He was seeking to imitate, imitate his Lord and he then urged others to follow his example, not so much because he was a great man, but in order ultimately to be imitators, followers of God. So that's the calling. The question comes to us, why? For what reason should we imitate our God? And this passage provides us a reason. Because you're His children. Verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And with those words, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the whole truth of our adoption as he's already taught it in the first half of the book. He spoke of our adoption back in chapter 1, verse 5, where we were taught that we've been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. That is, God chose us to be His spiritual sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. This truth was implied in chapter 2, verse 19, which speaks of the fact that we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We belong to the household of God. That is, we've been brought into the, the family of our God. We are His adopted children. So that what the Apostle Paul doing is doing here is taking some truth he's already taught and bringing it to bear upon how we are to live our lives. So we must have in mind this morning the truth of our adoption. It really is an astounding truth when we stop to think about it. Because as the book of Ephesians also taught us, by nature we are the children of disobedience. We were the children of wrath. But in His mercy and in His love, He has delivered us from that wrath and He's made us His children. And that's really our fundamental identity. That's our, our relationship with God. So that being a Christian means more than being a believer. Being a Christian certainly includes being a believer because we've been given faith, but there's more. There's more to being a Christian than even having our sins forgiven. That's a, a wonderful, blessed part of it. But that's not the whole of it. Being a Christian is more than the fact that we've been given new life, that we've been made new creatures, quickened in our Savior, Jesus Christ. All of those things are true. All of those things are part of being a Christian. But if we stop there, we don't have a full biblical perspective because our fundamental status is that we are now children of the Most High God. We've been brought into His family so that He speaks to us in love and we can respond to Him. We can enjoy fellowship and communion with this God. And it's exactly because we are His children that we are to imitate Him, to be followers of His example. 
That's the connection here. Be followers of God. Why? Because you are His children. And when the Apostle Paul adds that, he has really two ideas. On the one hand, he's saying, be who you are. You've been adopted. And when God adopts us as His children, He does something that no earthly parent can do for their adopted child. Namely, He makes us look like Him spiritually. He recreates us in His image so that we've been born of the Spirit. Born from above. Another point is, live like it. Behave yourself as a child of the Most High. Because that's what children do. Every child here, and every one of us when we were children, we've all learned from our parents. We imitate our parents so that we'll say about a young boy in the congregation, he's just like his father in that way. Well, the point in this passage is we have been made children. And because children imitate their Father, we are to imitate our Heavenly Father. Be who you are. But on the other hand, he's saying, be followers, imitators of God out of thankfulness. Because the reason God chose us in eternity to be His sons and daughters is not because of anything in us, but entirely because of His love and His mercy. It's when we recognize that, that our hearts are filled with gratitude so that we now strive to live like the other members of the family, our Heavenly Father and our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And we will do that especially when we recognize just how much our Father loves us. Notice that one word we've passed over thus far. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Literally, as children beloved. So that when God adopts us, it's not just that we belong to Him from a legal point of view, but it means we are now the objects of His paternal love and care. And if only we understood, if only we recognized just how dear we are to the Father. He loves us so much that He uses His sovereign might to control everything that happens in this universe for the good of His children. To see to it that their needs are met both from a physical point of view as well as a spiritual point of view. He loves us so much that He's watching over us and guarding us so much so that every one of our hairs on our heads is numbered. And not one of them can go missing apart from His will. So that even the most loving and godly earthly parents, their love is but a dim reflection of God's love for us. If we want to understand God's love, we have to take the love of our parents and multiply it by infinity. We are His dear children. His children beloved. 
And is there any greater good than that? Is there any honor that's higher than being the sons and daughters of Jehovah? Is there any more privileged position in all the world? Is there anything better than knowing that the God of heaven and earth is lovingly concerned about me? That He's taken an intense personal interest in my heart and life? And the answer is obviously no. So will we not imitate Him? You see, even with our earthly children, it's the children who know that their parents love them. That they now seek to follow that example by loving those who have set their love upon them. So may it be true of us as a congregation. So may it be true of you, Ashley. And knowing that you are His dear child, you seek to imitate Him, to follow His example, to mimic Him. And we're to do that especially by walking in love. That's the manner in which we are to follow our God. That's verse 2 of the text. And walk in Love. First verse sets before us the main calling. Be imitators, followers of God. Now we come to a specific application. The manner in which we are to do that. We are to walk in love. When it speaks of our walk, it's obviously referring about our conduct, our behavior. And by adding the words in love, it's telling us that the whole of our conduct is to be in the realm of love, in the sphere of love. So that the idea is that love for God and love for the neighbor is the the tenor of our whole life. So that love characterizes all of our deeds, all of our words, all of our thoughts, and all of our desires. Walk in love. And this is something Scripture emphasizes. Again and again, when we scan the pages of God's Word, we see a a prioritizing of love for God and love for the neighbor. For example, in Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, we read, if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, we're told that all things be done with charity. That is love. And that comes after 1 Corinthians 13 had taught us that now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Same thing in Colossians 3, verse 14. And above all these things, put on Charity, which is the bond of perfectness. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Scripture is clear. We are to walk in love. This is an important aspect of the Christian life. 
happen. Now, what does that look like? How are we to walk in love? Well, again, this passage gives us the answer by teaching us that our love is to be patterned after the love of our Savior. That's the rest of verse five, verse two, chapter five, verse two. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Where to love is Christ loved. And oh, how He loved us. Not as an imitator of God, but as God Himself. And we're reminded of the fact that He is indeed God the Son in human flesh. When we note the connection between verses 1 and 2, verse 1 says, be followers of God, imitators of God. And then when we're given a specific way in which we are to do that, walk in love, and then He goes on to illustrate that love. Rather than pointing us to the love of God Himself, points us to the love of Christ. Because the reality is they're the same thing. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity in human flesh. He's of the same essence as the Father and the Spirit. So that being imitators, followers of God is the same thing as being imitators, followers of Christ. And that holds true in this specific way. Because God is love. And that means the Father is love, the Son is love, and the Spirit is love. And thus when Jesus Christ showed His love, demonstrated His love for us, He did so not as one who was imitating God, but as God Himself. So that what we have in Jesus Christ is the the revelation of God's love to us. And He loved us by giving Himself for us. That's the language. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. How did He love us? And hath given Himself for us. means His love is not a mere sentiment. His love is not just some emotion or feeling of giddiness. But His love is a self-sacrificing love. He so loved us that He gave. And the reference here is obviously to the giving of Himself, especially at the cross of Calvary. He gave Himself. And that means He went willingly. He was not crucified against His will but by an act of voluntary self-surrender, He gave Himself up to His enemies. And He did that as an act of submission to the will of His Father. He was willing in His death at Calvary. He gave Himself as a sacrifice and an offering. Those are the words mentioned here in the passage reminding us that Jesus Christ did this in fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scriptures. All the types, all the shadows, they all pointed to the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. 
whereby atonement has been made. The, the justice of God has been satisfied. And He did all of this for the good of His people. Paul says by inspiration that Christ also hath loved us and gave Himself for us. For our advantage. For our benefit. When He was laying down His life, He had our best interest in mind. That's the love of Christ. And now this passage of Scripture calls us to walk in love even as Christ's love, that is, our love is to be patterned after His love. And that means our love is, must be more than a mere sentiment, a feeling, or an emotion. Our love is to be a giving of ourselves, of our time, of our energy, of our resources, of our abilities. Love is costly. But yet we are to give. And to give for the good of others. For their advantage. For their benefit. That is, we are to give ourselves for the advantage and for the salvation of all the other members of the church of Christ. And that includes forgiving one another. We say that in light of the connection between this passage and the one we considered last time in our series, specifically chapter 4, verse 32. We link back because chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God. Therefore is reminding us of what we've already covered. And what we've already covered is chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. A part of His love for us is that He's forgiven us our sins. And since our love is to be patterned after His love, we too are to forgive one another. To pass over the transgressions, the faults of one another. To seek reconciliation with the brother. To live peaceably in the midst of the congregation. Or to walk in love after the pattern of Christ's own love. But now if we stop there, we would be doing injustice to this text. Because Christ's love is far more than the pattern and the example that we are to follow. It is that. Christ Himself taught us that His love is a pattern, an example, and that comes out in this passage of Scripture as well as others. For example, Jesus, when He washed the feet of His disciples, He, he told us, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. It's in light of that passage that it is entirely appropriate that we spend some time talking about Christ's love as the pattern, as the example that we are to follow in our imitating of God. But we must not stop there. If we stop there, then 
we become no different in this particular respect than liberal Christianity. One of the hallmarks of liberal Christianity is that it presents Christ and His love simply as an example. Just as the model that we are to follow. And that goes hand in hand with their denial of the atoning work of Christ's death at the cross. His death is more than just an example. His love is more than just a model. It's the motivation. It's the power that stands behind our love. That is, it's when we have tasted of His love. When we know we are the objects of His love. That we now want to show that love to each other. Out of thankfulness, out of gratitude. We want to reflect something of it. Even if ever so dimly. And ever so imperfectly. It's His love for us. Unworthy sinners that enables us to love those whom we would otherwise deem unlovable. So that a life of love is what flows out of knowing His love for us. It's certainly something Paul understood. He was gripped with the love of God for him. And that too comes out in this passage. In the pronouns that he uses. Throughout this passage, he's by and large addressing those to whom he's writing so that we have second person pronouns. Ye, he's talking to the Ephesians. Verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And the idea of verse 2, and walk in love is walk ye in love. And he's going to continue this. Verse 3, Let none of these sins be once named among you. And that means when he talks about Christ's love, we might expect Him to say that He gave Himself for you, Ephesians, but that's not what He says. Verse 2, Walk ye in love as Christ also hath loved us and given Himself for us. He cannot help but include Himself. Because he's so gripped, he's so ravished by the love of God and the fact that God would ever set his love upon such an unworthy sinner. And so it is to be for us. So that when we think about God's love, it's not just some abstract truth, it's not just a part of what I learned in essentials class. But it's personal. He set His love upon me. And not just as an example, but to accomplish my salvation. To make atonement for my sins. And it's knowing that love that then leads us to want to love one another. To walk in love and to imitate this God. So that again, what we see is that the Christian life flows out of our Christian doctrine. And that's the dynamic that we see here in this passage and really the whole of this book and beyond that, the whole of God's Word. 
the dynamic that we see again and again is that our walk of life is to arise out of and be governed by what we believe as Christians. We mentioned this in the introduction, and now that we've covered the text and understood the meaning, let's see it again. Verse 1 tells us, Be ye therefore followers of God. Imitate Him. Mimic Him. Why? Because you are His children. His children beloved. His dear children. Will you not seek to imitate your Father who so loved you? And then that same dynamic comes to us in verse 2. Walk in love. And if we ask why, because Christ so loved you that He gave Himself to die on the cross for us. It's showing that these passages are showing us that the Christian life flows out of our Christian theology. And that's why, even though the book is structured the way it is, first half primarily doctrinal instruction, second half practical application, even in the practical application, the Apostle Paul by inspiration keeps going back to the truths he's already taught. He, he keeps grabbing hold of them and bringing them to bear upon the application that he's making. Because that's the whole dynamic of the Christian life. And we see that even in the questions that were asked to Ashley this morning on the occasion of her public confession of faith, they intertwine doctrine and life. So that the first question is, do you acknowledge the doctrine contained in the Old and New Testaments and in the articles of the Christian faith and taught here in this Christian church to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation? But then the second question is, have you resolved by the grace of God to adhere to this? To reject all heresies and to lead a new and godly life? The questions are put in that ordered and connected that way because it's teaching us this very thing that a new and godly life arises out of and is dictated by the doctrine that we hold to. Now what this means for us, what this means for you, Ashley, is that even as we hear this word, be ye therefore followers of God, imitators of God, walk in love, we recognize we will only ever do that when by faith we grab hold of the truth that I am His child. When we embrace the truth by faith that Christ so loved us that He gave Himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice. That means as Christians, it's not just about how I am to live. But as Christians, we need to keep going back to God's Word. We need to continue to use the means of grace. We need to be in the Word with our own personal devotions. Not just for the sake of checking something off of our to-do list. Not just for the sake of getting them done. But recognizing that it's when my heart is overwhelmed 
with the good news of this Gospel. That that's what's going to be the, the motivation and the power that propels the Christian life. So may God use this Word to that end this morning. That as a congregation, we might be followers, imitators of our God, walking in love. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, blessed be Thy name for Thy adopting grace, for Thy love in sending Jesus Christ to give Himself as an offering and a sacrifice. Father, impress upon our hearts and minds the good news of the Gospel. And so fill us with thankfulness that we say, what shall we now render unto Thee? And in response to Thy grace, help us also to imitate Thee. To walk in love. That we might show in the way that we live our lives that Thou art our Lord. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.